We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Truth Perspective. It's April 9th, 2 p.m. Eastern, and we've got a full house today in our mini super high-tech studio. We are jam-packed full of sod editors here. I'm going to start at my 12 o'clock. We've got Carolyn McCallum. Hello. Shane Lachance. Hello, everybody. Corey Schenk. Hello. Ilan Martin. Hi, everyone. And I'm Harrison Cayley. And today we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff. We're just going to knock them out one after the other. I think we can probably fit about 300 stories in today. It's been a busy week. <laughs> Maybe not 300. Maybe 11.5 million. <laughs> million. We're going to be reading every one of the Panama Papers. <laughs> word for word. It's going to be riveting. Because the, the Panama Papers... What 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 day did they come out again? How long ago was that? I think it might have been uh, the fourth or fifth. So a few days ago, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and um, big news. It's all over the place. And well, there's a. I mean, like I said, it's something like 11.5 million papers. I think that's the number, right? Yeah, but we don't get to see them. Right. So there's this. There, there's actually only ten that were released <laughs> yeah. out of the 11.5. Million. And they all mention someone that knows someone that knows Putin. <laughs> well, yeah, so I guess there's a couple of different angles we can take on this. The first can be, I guess, the initial media response. Well, well first, we want to give just a little background on what they are. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, sure. listeners have, have seen, uh, you know, what the story is about. It's been even in the mainstream news, or well, especially in the mainstream news. And so this, uh, this German newspaper uh, was contacted by an anonymous source through, yeah, John Doe. Um, and you know, it, was this, uh, it was over this encrypted chat. They've, they've never met the source. They don't know who it is, uh, but they, I think it started in 2015. So this, uh, this data has been somewhat under wraps for about a year uh they uh yeah over, and over this period of time you know they got more and more information eventually it was like 2.6 terabytes of, of data which is uh enormous amount to sift through it was too much for them to do alone so they contacted uh the international consortium of investigative journalists which is a project of the Center for Public Integrity. That's a DC nonprofit. And their mission statement is to reveal abuses of power, corruption, and dereliction of duty of powerful public and private institutions in order to cause them to operate with honesty, integrity, accountability, and put the public interest first. Oh, that's incredibly noble. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like a really noble 
uh, statement. But you know, we we look at what what kind of reports they've had in the past. They haven't had too many. Uh, the furthest one going back was from 1996. That report was called the Fat Cat Hotel. How Democratic High Rollers are Rewarded with Overnight Stays at the White House. Uh, they had a 2003 report called Windfalls of War, uh, which taught, which went into the contributions of uh, George W. Bush and how those sources were involved in uh, the reconstruction contracts in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. They had another report called Tobacco Underground, which was an, under, uh, an ongoing project tracing the global trade of smuggling cigarettes. Uh, so, you know, not not a whole lot of really groundbreaking stuff where, you know, they're digging into the corruption of the elite. Um, but what, what's interesting was uh, in 2013, they began uh, this other... Uh, this other report called Secrecy for Sale Offshore Accounts. So it's very similar in nature uh, to the most recent Panama Papers um, report, and they had this 15-month-long investigation uh, going over the ownership of secret offshore bank accounts. And they were involved with – they were partnered with uh, Guardian, BBC, Le Mans, Washington Post uh, – Deutsche Zeitung, which is the German newspaper who contacted them about the Panama Papers. So this newspaper had worked with them previously on a similar topic, so it was pretty natural for them to uh, to work with uh, the IC, ICIJ, which also is funded uh, by USAID, which is funded by the U.S. government. Now... Yeah. Isn't that just a happy coincidence? <laughs> and another, uh, or another few happy coincidences is that they are also funded by the Ford Foundation, the Carnegie Endowment, the Rockefeller Family Fund, W.K. Kellogg Foundation, and George Soros's Open Society Foundation. Now, I think all these people mm -hmm. want to reveal abuses of power, corruption, dereliction of duty by powerful public and private institutions, right? Isn't that they're, what they're all about? Yes. And, and of course, if you detect any hint of sarcasm whatsoever from Shane, it's because it's well-deserved. These are organizations that are really, by now, well-known for organizing color revolutions um, all around the world. Uh, they all have their hands in destabilizing countries that aren't... Um, following the imperial party line. And, um, yeah, I mean, so, it, you know, you, you look, you, you just scratch a little bit beyond the surface here and, and you see who, who really is behind this sort of thing. And it, it, kind of, uh, it kind of fits the puzzle piece all too well. No, and they all have, very quietly in the background, an intelligence component too. Uh, it's, they've, uh, I think USAID has been kicked out of a few countries for spying. So, you know, that, that brings U.S. intel into the picture, too. Oh, what's, a, what's a joke is that USAID, so, you know, they, they claim themselves as a, a whistleblowing agency, you know, when they're funded by the U.S. government. I mean, it's, it's a complete joke. Um, now, they, they have uh, a project called uh, Organized Crime and 
corruption reporting project and uh on their website they they note that they target Russia and the former USSR so like and you know George Soros in Washington they're all they're all they're all involved in this and yeah and their their primary target is is Russia and Vladimir Putin so th- this kind of gets into I think the direction that we really want to go in, which is uh, how the Panama Papers have been talked about in uh, Western media. Well, first of all, just before we get into that, um, I watched a clip with Mark Toner, the State Department. Uh, I saw that too. That and, was good. But he made uh, there was something interesting in there because I think he makes a point that you can actually read into, and he, he was being asked about like the ICIJ and the USAID. Um, money that went into it, and he says, "So yeah, we fu- we funded this. Um, you know, we fund this organization." And he made a couple points. One, he said that um, the U.S. supports investigative journalism, which is, well, it's it's half true. There's a there's a slight truth to that because they do they well they do fund the ICIJ. And he said that, um, but that, that the U.S. government has no control, editorial control over what is released at this point. Now, again, that's that's. That's also partially true, and both of these things are partially true, and the reason I say that is because he then said something to the effect that any time that we can expose corruption in foreign governments, you know, that then um, basically our enemies, then we'll go ahead and that's a good thing, so we'll fund that. So, so uh, there, well, right there, there's a, there's a few different dynamics going on there, because first of all, uh, I don't think anyone so far has questioned the actual validity of these documents. They are, they are all genuine, as far as we know, documents, 11.5 million of them from this uh, Mossack Fonseca law firm in Panama. And these are real documents, and and the as far as we can tell, I, don't, I haven't seen any articles saying that, oh, no, this is actually, this part's fake, this is, this is true, this, is for, this isn't true, this is forged, etc. So these are real documents about real corporations and real people involved in these um, offshore accounts in these tax havens. One, well, this one specific tax haven in Panama, because there are several of them. But the other, so the other is that the, well, there's an, there's an aspect of truth and kind of falsehood and, and mis, misleading people in the sense that the U.S. benefits when they can expose real corruption in countries that they don't like or that they want to destabilize. So I think that it's it's a mixed bag in the sense that, first of all, there's going to be some really in, interesting and good information in these documents, and some of that has already come out. Um, there was a there's a, an Australian news program, I think it's called Four, Four Corners, and we posted the, uh, a link to, to their program, on the Panama Papers and the investigations they did into the Australian individuals involved in this. And there's some really interesting stuff in there about how, first of all, it just gives a background and how this stuff works, how these companies are set up. And second, it gives some names of some people, like some shady people in Australia who are, who are involved in these things and just the ties with all these multinational corporations and the way they just get, they get away with just funneling out billions, well, trillions of dollars. There's one of the investigators in this program was saying that there's something like $23 trillion of individual uh, funds. So funds held by individuals, not corporations, 23, something like $23 trillion that is tied up in these corporations or in, in these um, uh, tax havens. And 
that doesn't even count the the money of the corporations, which would be more trillions of dollars. Think about that: twenty three trillion dollars just in individuals' assets. Um, now, uh, getting back to the State Department briefing, um, there's an article up on SOT that you can check out the uh, the briefing. The discussion on the Panama Papers is in the beginning of the video. Um, it, they go on for about like ten minutes or ten to fifteen minutes, you know, about this topic. Uh, otherwise, it would have been nice to have a clip, but they they do kind of go on about it for a little bit. But um, regarding uh, the discussion with Matt Lee and and Mark Toner, you know, uh, he Toner was saying how yeah the U.S. doesn't have editorial control over what they're producing. But the, the point that Lee was making, yeah, but, you know, you're supporting them because it's a share, you have a shared exactly. ideology, you have a shared mission, and, you know, they're, they're going to be doing what you want them to do. So it doesn't, and, you know, I think <clears throat> when, when you listen to Toner, I think he really does believe in what he says, you know, oh, the U.S. didn't know, you know, about the, that it was going to be released, and, you know, we're not involved in any way, yada, 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 and, you know, I he, he he might believe that stuff, um, but you know, it it, it just comes across. It, it's such BS. It's such it's such uh, it's such a joke that like you know, it, it's so transparent. You know, these uh, these propagandist uh, WikiLeaks wannabes are are you know just putting out such transparent trash, and you know, and it's how it's being used that you can really see the uh the footprints of you know who's who's pulling the strings what's uh you know what interests these these uh these leaks are serving um you know you we do see there are some uh western leaders who you know have been uh, implicated um and you know cameron uh, his father was was involved in uh you know these banks and you know these offshore accounts and uh, but you know you don't get it, it it's not the same uh attention that's being given to a putin and and these uh and and the people who they are targeting in the west you know it seems just to be sending a message well what's what's really interesting there's actually so many fascinating things about this i mean we could probably do the whole show just on these papers but uh the thing a couple of things that i found really interesting was one that it was such a ham-fisted effort that within 12 hours of this hitting social media, people were going, you were seeing tweet, tweets and Facebook posts about, okay, you know, where are all the Western leaders? Uh, yeah, how, what uh, Alon said about, okay, a cousin's uncle's brother-in-law of Putin was implicated, so, okay, Putin's got to be part of all this. You know, he's corrupt and he's hiding billions of dollars and all that stuff. Um the the backlash on social media was was quite amazing to behold. Um, either you know it's either social media is getting really savvy to this kind of a thing, or they just did a really bad job. Um, a weakness of it, and and this is what Julian Assange said said if WikiLeaks had gotten hold of this, we would have just dumped the whole thing out and made it searchable. Nobody has access to the primary documents. What we're getting is a filtered massaged version mm-hmm. of the of what material has been deemed appropriate to to put out to serve certain ends the other thing too i mean this is a multi-pronged effort i mean an attempt to smear putin 
an attempt to smear Assad. Again, some of Assad's relatives, not even close relatives, uh, well, maybe a brother, were on this list, but he is not in any, in all 11.5 million papers. His name does not appear. The other thing, uh, it was kind of a, a tossed, tossed away comment at the end of one of the articles that I read was that the message has been put out that the only safe tax haven now is the U.S. Mm-hmm. That, you know, this, particularly Britain comes off looking really bad in this whole thing. Um, and so anybody who hasn't been caught in this dragnet or been outed on purpose in this dragnet has been put on notice that if you want to continue on doing what you're doing, we're the people you got to deal with. Because notice how clean and squeaky we were. Well, the it does seem like a yeah, it is targeted. Well, I wanted to make a couple points. One on the the searchable database kind of thing is that there was an article on Fort Rust that raised a good question, and it basically said that it's not doesn't really matter so far what the journalists are saying or what the documents are saying um, or the leak itself. It's the database because if you think about how huge this database is, think about the documents. I mean, a lot of these are scans of documents, scans of envelopes, and so just th- think about the amount of, of work that has to go into, first of all, getting the scans for these 11.5 million documents. Presumably they were made by the, the law firm. But then, um, you know, OCRing all these documents and making them searchable and then having, a, having the computing power and, uh, like, to create this kind of search database that these people are being used, no one so far has answered the question, to my knowledge, as to where this database is being held, who's... Who's can like who's created the database and who's um, created the parameters for searching in this database? Mm-hmm. Um, from what I can tell, the way it's set up is that you have to basically have an idea of who you're going to search for first. So you search that name, and then you might be able to find something on them. Mm-hmm. And that, um, but like you like you said, Carolyn, there's the database itself. The documents haven't been released. There's just all these journalists have had access to this um, basically search function. And once they put something in, then they can find those documents, read those, you know, maybe search keywords from those, find some more documents. But it's like, in a sense, it would be like searching for multiple needles in a very large haystack. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting what, <clears throat> what's what been able to come out so far. As for the um, the ties to, to, like, Putin and Assad, um, a couple thoughts on those. First of all, that I think it's kind of... Well, it was totally predictable to start out with because any kind, any if you think about a leak of this nature with um, that involves multiple countries, um, of course the the journalists in the Western press are going. The first name they're going to put in there is Putin because they want something in order to demonize him. So that's going to. It's just kind of like a, um, obvious and expected that that's what would happen. So it's interesting that uh, what what they did find, which was like. Um, a childhood friend of his and yeah, one childhood friend of his and someone who is rumored or alleged to be the, the husband of his daughter, which hasn't been confirmed. Um, that was just another kind of Western um, rumor that's been spread around. And then uh, like Assad's cousin is in there. Well, I, I think one of the connections was that the owner of the ski resort who his daughter, where his daughter got married was implicated in in the in these papers. So some serious stuff, mm-hmm. right? As well as the uh, musician friend of <laughs> Putin, uh, and you know, 
uh, Putin's response to this, when you've read about it, was more or less, meh, you know, the guy's a musician, uh, he has enough to sustain himself and, and, and get new instruments. Uh, so far, you haven't produced any kind of uh, any kind of real evidence that I'm involved. And, you know, you can just sort of read into Putin's reaction like, really, guys, you're throwing this at me right now? I've got bigger things to worry about. And uh, that's kind of how I feel about this whole, um, this whole so-called leak, which really isn't a leak. It's a hack. Uh, Robert Fonseca, one of the founding members of, uh, of, the, uh, of this um, kind of money laundering uh, bank type organization, said as much. Um, and the plain fact of the matter is, I think it's going to blow over. Uh, it, it's not significant. Um, it's already kind of been, um, as you were saying, Carolyn, you know, inside of 12 hours, people have realized it's so flimsy. It's such an obvious attempt to, to, uh, to get uh, Putin uh, kind of on the ropes in some way. And, you know, in, in a way, uh, you kind of understand Putin has just shown up the entire West and particularly the United States in, in uh, assisting Syria uh, in, in defeating ISIS. Uh, this is no small thing, and it's just uh, it's just a pure act of desperation at this point on the part of uh, U.S. intelligence agencies and and all of these NGOs uh, to come out with this story. Um, and naturally, they have all of these Western know nothing lackeys, you know, chomping at the bit for for some bit of anti-Putin mm -hmm. information. Well, what also too remember he called it. What, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago? Mm -hmm. He did an interview or let it be known that they knew Peskov. that there was... Pardon? Pes Dmitry Peskov is oh. a press guy. Okay, yeah, yeah. just put, put out this press release saying we know there's going to be a big media effort against him. There's going to be a big ramp up. We already know about this. So we're just letting you all know that we know. And that's why he could be kind of meh. I mean, we, we, we knew. I think it'll be kind of interesting to see in the next week what the political casualties are from this mess. Uh, see, you know, who uses it to get rid of their, their foes or whatever. And, you know, in Ukraine, I know Poroshenko has been um, outed. And after the Dutch referendum, the big fail that they got there, this this uh, corruption leak of, you know, him, you know, using tax havens and, and whatnot. And then, uh, you know, the utter failure in of having Ukraine seem attractive to the EU, especially to the Dutch. Uh, that seems like it's created a crisis over there. I know that in Iceland, the prime minister, he's already been booted, or he's getting booted. Well, he yeah, yeah, he's, he hasn't tech, he, he, like the a lot of the Western press is saying that he's resigned. He hasn't officially resigned. He uh, he got him, he put, like, he, he's kind of like taking a little uh, um, holiday, and he put someone else. time for a holiday. Put, he put, like, something like the deputy prime minister to, like, take over for himself or, or whatever while they figure out what the what he's going to do. But it's also interesting that, you know, immediately following this, that uh, Iceland released, uh, or they um, they made law, they made, they made some new laws that uh, allowed for, you know, the bankers that they had previously jailed uh, to have a early release and, you know, to, to serve just a quarter of their, uh, of their sentences. Uh, so, you know, that that's, that's, pretty interesting um you know to one of the results that we're seeing from from these papers um now to to get a taste of you know how 
uh, Western media is is covering this. I you know, I came across the there's an internet t- uh, news TV show called ETC uh, ECT News, and you know, it's more of a entertainment news show uh, for you know uh, young people, and you know, it, it has uh, some of its show titles include Scarlett Johansson, Your Robot Girlfriend, Jaden Smith, Great Philosopher of Our Time. So you know you kind of get a sense of you know where they are, and a lot of the videos are just covering uh, movie trailers and uh, video games. But you know it, you get a you get a good sense of uh, the uh, the content of how they or their how they're, how they're, what they're understanding of what the Western perspective is of of these papers. So we have a short clip uh, about that. Officials. So far, the most notable people involved with Mossack Fonseca are Russian President Vladimir Putin. Oh, big shock. Who is said to have a paper trail of about $2 billion leading directly to him, thanks to patterns revealed in the data that indicate complicated deals that couldn't have been made without his authorization. And then there's Icelandic Prime Minister Sigmundur David Gunslagen. Listen, I can't pronounce it. Icelandic Bjork. President Bjork. It's hard, it's hard to pronounce, but uh, the Prime Minister of Iceland is now at the forefront of the news because of his country's call to have him step down. Yeah. Wow, that is just cutting-edge Western journalism right there. <laughs> well, all they had to do was put out this you know, two-sentence line about Putin and money laundering, and that's it. And the American public won't question it any further than that. Well, when you look when you look at, at these videos uh, with the Panama Papers, Putin is on like the he's the the uh, the graphic for you know that's emphasizing what these papers are all about. He's not even in the papers. He's not mentioned once. <laughs> like he's not mentioned at all. He's not in there. <laughs> it's just it's 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 flabbergasting to to see how you know there's this whole implication. Uh, of Putin when he's not in the, these papers at all. Well, that even that's suggestive to me. That tells me that the, this leak, like the motivation for this leak, I don't think was anti-Putin or anti-Russia. I think that was that the, it was it, it's a forced fit. Like you can see it because the, the, it's so transparent the way this is being presented in the mass media that. I can't see the whoever this mysterious person was who may or may not work for the NSA who released these documents. I can't see him being like, "Oh man, this is I'm going to nail Putin with this." Because it's it's just it's like they uh well, really I don't think that well, Putin isn't in these documents. He's not centered in it. It's a real stretch to connect him directly in any way to this. So I just think it's a total uh media creation to to create this Putin link. And even then, the the links that have been made specifically to Russia and Syria, there's an article on South Front making an in- interesting observation that the the propaganda is has backfired because what it actually shows, now think about it, Syria and Russia, the the transactions that it, that took place in these two countries with individuals from these two countries took took place during the times when both countries were under sanctions. The individuals named the Russian individuals named were personally individually sanctioned by the U.S. government. So what it looks like these Russians and Syrians were doing, they were using these offshore accounts in order to subvert the sanctions against them. It wasn't that they were they were doing it to necessarily subvert the laws of their own nations. 
in order to to evade taxes they were probably potentially i don't know for sure doing this in a way to benefit their countries by getting a, around the illegal and irrational sanctions against them on the other hand all these other nations involved because there are dozens and dozens of countries that are, that are implicated in these papers you look and there is there is some really shady stuff going on in the, in them so and with ties to uh, big business leaders i mean the uk is the second largest implicated country in there with the most i think something like close to 50% or slightly less slightly above i can't remember exactly of the corporations involved in uh, that incorporated with Mossack Fonseca are british companies there are israeli individuals in there um, you know, like I said, uh, oh, Hong Kong is the is the biggest one. A lot of big Hong Kong billionaires, Australian. Yeah, there's a lot. There's quite a few South America, Central America too. Um, I don't know whether it's just proximity, mm-hmm. or uh, but there's a really nice infographic in one of the articles. Mm-hmm. I can't remember it, but there's a a nice map with kind of uh, proportional dots in each country, so you can see where the largest concentration is. So Central America mm-hmm. is full, Britain. Scotland, all yeah. over. Um, and Russia's got this tiny little dot in the middle, and the U.S. also has a very small dot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it seems to me that uh, Panama is like the, the poor man's uh, money laundering mm-hmm. organization. Uh, the poor rich man's, so to say. You only, as, as you only need to 50 the, billion to get yeah. in this one. As opposed right. to the Virgin Islands, the British Virgin Islands. That's yeah. the big one. That's the big one. Uh, there's also, uh, you were saying, Harrison, that uh, Great Britain is a, you know, the, the, the city of London, another uh, huge, vast money laundering operation. Um, so, you know, whoever did this, and it's not a leak, it's a hack. Uh, whoever hacked into this system, I think, uh, decided that you know these people, whoever was going to be mentioned, were expendable. Uh, these were the guys who who aren't smart enough or capable enough, or uh, for whatever reason they just didn't have their accounts where the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and the Carnegies have so, their accounts. So you think they're kind of clean in house, um, in, a, in a nefarious sort of way, I think, or flexing muscle, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, a I, bit of both. I think it's the the kind of uh, second secondary goal to put all of these people on notice. Uh, you know, we are the, you know, we are the big boys, and um, you know, you better do as we say. Like uh, like someone mentioned earlier, um, one possible agenda for this is to to get people to move their offshore activities to the U.S. And uh, Jim Corbett had a uh, an interesting take on on the Corbett report. You can find the the link on YouTube. It's one of his recent videos, and he talks about a little known um, goal or plan or operation that they that the U.S. wants, um, well, and multiple nations to create this kind of global um, financial transaction sharing system. And Panama isn't and hasn't been a part of this or signed on to it. So this may be part of that because they basically want to, you know instant access to all these tr- financial transactions globally, and ironically, Panama cited privacy laws. Yeah, well, and that's the way these things work. Is that that's yeah. that's one of the reasons why these, um, um, like what do they call them, like tax beneficial something or others, um, work is because one of the one the privacy laws, so people mm-hmm. can basically set up. You know, pay their law firm in Panama to set up a corporation with 
phony directors. Then they funnel the money in. That that corporation creates a trust where they put the money, and then that trust is deals with another corporation that's set up. And so it's it's this giant legal um, because everything is technically by the books in, in order of, from these various nations. So it's all technically legal. And so the money funnels through these various corporations to other countries, so they only have to pay a fraction of the taxes they would or- ordinarily pay. And then um, these guys just get richer and richer, and technically it's legal. That's, that's kind of the thing. I mean, <laughs> this, these papers, they don't have any legs because, one, it's legal. I mean, the, the, the data about corrupt, uh, the corrupt elite is, is, I mean, the tax havens are like the least of it. Like that's like the, it, it, it hardly registers. And, you know, I think people, when, when they, when they see this stuff, it's, it's like, it is meh. Like, okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not, it's not the, the most incriminating thing in the world. Um, now what's going to be interesting is, uh, Putin's response to, to, and Russia's response to these papers is that they said, well, you know, we, we have some data of our own, uh, ranging, I think back from, to like the 1930s to up until 1989. And they're going to be releasing, you know, some, some stuff that, that they have and, my guess is that it's going to be a whole lot more uh, incriminating and heavy than you know what these Panama Papers are about. Well, I know one way that these uh, these tax havens are incriminating is just in how psychopathic and greedy it reveals these yeah. these rich folk are. I mean, if one study revealed that about ninety two thousand people hold twenty one trillion dollars in these tax havens, mm-hmm. and you compare that to let's look at uh, Los Angeles. Uh, on any given night of this year, 82,000 people will be homeless. So we just have to ask those 92,000 people, you know, what are you going to do with that $21 trillion? Mm-hmm. Are you, you going to, you know, buy a new planet when you destroy this one? Yeah. Well, and that's, that's one of the points that came up in this uh, Four Corners report on the, on the Australian network. Um, and they interviewed some senators in Australia who have been um, separately and and in communication with the journalists looking into this, really um, taking a look at these offshore accounts um, from people in Australia. And they, so they've been working on this for at least the last year or more, um, these, these investigations, um, and they've been using the, the documents um, too. Now, one of the things that they say, one of these senators, for example, made the point I made that technically this stuff is legal. And so he or another guy made the point, well, the, so... Really, it's not enough to just say um, to try to get these guys like in court and to to find them guilty just based on the fact that um, like out of the public good or whatever, this is what they should have done or they shouldn't have done that because technically, legally, they're doing they're not breaking the law. Everything's it's it's following these loopholes that exist. So the only way to actually prosecute these people's these people is to change the laws because like I agree with with you, Corey, that this. Um, like even and well, I agree with both of you um, and Shane too. That on the one hand, this stuff isn't groundbreaking. It doesn't show any kind of like massive corruption, the kind of stuff where people would be would go to jail and get you know maybe executed for treason. Well, the, the, my point was that you know we know these things about yeah. the elite. Like this is what they do. They hide their money, and yes, they 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 are seriously greedy, and and we know that. But 
like what I'm what I'm wanting from you know a leak or a hack is like the real juicy stuff <laughs> that you know uh, that shows uh you know some some yeah some real stuff that you know we don't really know about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I agree with that. Um, but with like on Corey's point, I think that if there's anything good that comes out of this, um, it's like that. The, another point they made in the Australian show is that for people who haven't been aware of just how massive this whole offshore um, scheme is, and what these people, what these First of like what these multinational corporations and like billionaires and trillionaires in in these countries are doing, like the massive amounts of wealth that they're that they're shipping off for their own private gain and that don't go back to the taxpayers. Like th- if you think about it, like th- think about how how racked the ordinary person is by taxes, mm-hmm. and you think about these massively rich people who like it. It doesn't really like what's a few million dollars? What's a few billion dollars when you've got tens of billions of dollars? Exactly. I mean, it's not like you can't live your life um, like, <laughs> without that extra you know, know. billions. And if, if you think about just the ma- like the the, num- the massive um, like infrastructure collapse, even in the United States, where it would take like something like a hundred billion dollars to just fix some very basic infrastructure like pipes and roads, it's just uh, it's it 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 just reveals how sick this entire system is now what now um one kind of connection to to russia in this is that for years now for at least the last 5 years putin has been doing a lot to fight this offshore these offshore dealings in russia mm-hmm. so um so he's been doing it for the last 5 years now what happened recently like with the ukraine situation in the sanctions he has made kind of like offers and deals to to these russian businessmen to say we'll bring your money back to russia and we'll you know we'll work something out and it'll be to your advantage and so some people um, followed through on that and brought brought back their money and so it it's an issue in pretty much every country Every, every country there's going to be rich people there's going to be billionaires who are smart enough and rich enough to pay people to keep that money and get more of it and do it in shady ways. Now, Russia is one of those countries that actually seems to be making an effort to combat this. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, Australia, they're at least doing investigations, whether they'll be able to, um, to get any of these kind of like big, uh, big names in jail is another question, but they have made something like 50 arrests in the last year. Um, and, Got got these individuals in jail. Well, they're still just getting the small fry. Yeah, you know. But I mean, and you know, it's not like Putin was all, "Oh, hey, you know, come help support Mother Russia." I mean, he did appeal to their patriotism, but there there was a club behind his back, too. And I think Russia is one of the few countries that can wield that club. And the club was, mm-hmm. "Bring your money back, come make money, you know, we'll all get on." Or, yeah, or. We will privatize all of your assets, and you will have nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And that is the. I think Russia is the only country at this point who could actually pull that off. Mm-hmm. So it is a really slick system, you know, that you're up against. And so you can see the the point that legally 
there's not a lot that you can do, you know, unless you change the laws. Because, you know, the tax experts and accountants, they can just go to these these islands and just pretty much set up a system saying, okay, so this is our tax law and this is how it works. So here are all the loopholes. And they custom make, you know, these little tax agreements and these mm-hmm. systems in order to get money to go there. And uh, back in 2008, uh, a study by a group called the Global Financial Integrity uh <laughs> It estimated that uh, about $1.25 trillion per year was flowing out of developing countries through these tax havens and then getting back into, you know, the Western uh, system, financial system, um, which is actually 10 times the amount of aid that's given, you know, to, you know, quote unquote aid that's given to the developing countries. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a really, they, obviously the system is very complex. It's very murky. You know, and like Shane said, it'd be nice if these leaks would come out. We would actually get some juicy details that you can see really what's going on mm-hmm. rather than just all this anti-Putin, you know, smear campaign or, mm-hmm. you know, just throwing David Cameron on, under the bus as if nobody knew he was corrupt. Well, Harrison, I thought you brought up a good point before about, uh, you know, the greed of these guys and, and what that money could do, um, you know, if the money was kept within a country, uh, if if taxes were actually paid on those billions and trillions of dollars. And, you know, I'd just like us to, to sit with that for just a moment. Uh, you know, in the early 2000s, we heard that the Pentagon lost $3 trillion. Uh, we hear in years past that uh, the military spends trillions of dollars on war. Which they can't account for. They don't even know. Yeah. So, like, do, you know, does, do people ever stop and think about, how uh what what this country or any country uh that spends that kind of money um proportionately to their income would be like if they actually used that money towards infrastructure towards social services towards uh homes and food i mean it 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 would it would make such a huge qualitative difference um and and all of these guys basically think the same way they're all uh you know you said, Harrison, that, that it's a sickness, uh, and um, it, it, it's as though the, the sickness has metastasized and it, it's only gotten uh, bigger and more widespread. Um, you know, the world could be a vastly different place if, if there was uh, even 10% more accountability. Well, that's so we're dealing with like several issues here, I think. And, you know, one is that A, the, the people themselves, you know, the, the working uh, people who are struggling are, are funding, you know, uh, the government. And the, the billions and billions of dollars held by the elite, you know, isn't going back into the system. But the money that is going into the system, then it's being used for, you know, these, these ridiculous military expenditures, mm-hmm. um, you know, that are often just don't make any sense and are, are poorly produced and, you know, uh, don't have any, you know, they don't have any legs and, you know, they, it, these, these stupid jets that don't work out and, you know, all these other things. And, but you look at, you look at countries like, um, like Libya, um, like Russia, like Venezuela, you know, they use, they use their, their country's resources for social programs and, you know, the, the transformation and potential transformation 
you know, that can happen when, um, when resources are allocated that way, you know, it, it benefits the people. And that's just a, a fundamental that the, you know, the, the psychopathic reality that we live in, you know, doesn't want um, human beings to prosper. Yeah, and you see the results, uh, you know, just kind of continuing with the Los Angeles uh, homeless uh, statistics uh, that, you know, 82,000 are homeless on any given night versus 92,000 who have, you know, trillions of dollars stashed away and 254,000 in that one city, you know, one major metropolitan city experienced homelessness in a year. Um, and you see that, you know, this, it, you know, it's, it's looks almost like a refugee crisis. A lot of these people just won't find refuge. You know, it's because there's nothing being done. A lot of these people don't have refuge to find. And it's just absolutely, it's, it's really stunning when you look at, at the, you know, the haves and the have nots and what the haves have and what they do with it. Uh, versus a lot of the people, you know, American taxpayer right now, I, I think I read the other day on SOT that uh, they're spending more on taxes than food, shelter, and clothing combined. So you you imagine that, you know, just, you know, wrapping them up tight. It's just, it's unbelievable. Well, a couple of minutes ago, Shane, you, you mentioned uh, Libya. And, um, you know, one story that, that's been out for the past few years uh, is how the West, the U.S. and France in particular, had a real problem with Gaddafi uh, trying to get Africa um, and other Arab nations on the gold dinar. Um, Libya had over 140 tons of gold uh, to its credit before the NATO ISIS intervention. And, um, you know, it recently came out uh, in an article that we carried on SOT that um, you know, Hillary Clinton specifically knew of this information, uh, and this was uh, made um, made available uh, by released emails by an aide of hers, Sidney Blumenthal. Um, you know, the the Clinton emails idea has finally been connected in the minds of many people since this article that we carried has gone viral. Uh, in the minds of many people, to uh, her um, her aggression in Libya. Uh, so uh, it's very interesting to see. I'm glad that these kind of two data points are being connected in, in the minds of many people, and and it just it just tells you, you know, what they're you know, not only do these elites put their money away so that it can't be taxed, but they have to suppress any effort whatsoever in the world. Uh, to try to be independent of this of this psychopathic system, um, you know, Gaddafi was intending to uh, make the the countries he was selling oil to uh, purchase the oil in the gold dinars. I mean, he wanted to lift up his country and, and the African nations uh, to this to this higher standard of living, and he was destroyed because of it, quite literally. And and it's so it's such a clear connection now. Uh, I hope even more people get to read about it and and understand what it is we're dealing with in in people like Hillary Clinton and and other neocons in the U.S. Yeah, there's a you know it's it's really remarkable to um, still see what Gaddafi was trying to do um, in Libya, and you know there was a recent story uh, about. 
um, Gaddafi's project uh, in you know discovering the uh, under underwater uh, reservoirs and you know and using that to you know turn Libya from you know a desert into you know the, this this beautiful um, you know landscaped country and you know it's it's just it's a it's it's such a stain on uh, on history to see what was done to, to that country and then when you you look at what uh, what libya was before the invasion and you see the you know the kinds of rights that the people had the economic uh, well-being that the that the country had and all the numerous, you know, I, I mean, there's, it's just impossible to list them all. But to the idea that a country could be that democratic and that open and provide so much for its citizens in the way of housing and education, that it's, uh, you know, it's mind boggling. When you look at it, you know, what we were told Libya was, was mm-hmm. it was the, and I think that's a big impression that, you know, it's, you know, that it's impossible to get out of people's heads because it was so rammed into our heads that Gaddafi was a, you know, he was a tyrant. He was a murderer. You know, it's just another Middle Eastern country, like we told you. All the other ones were like, right? So now let's go over and bomb them and destroy them. And then you see in those emails that all along, you know, Hillary Clinton and all these people—I mean, they con- they knew what they were doing. They were going over it, and I mean, just like, and just like a bunch of pirates, as it says in that article, just like a bunch of pirates, they went and they stole their gold and their oil, and now they're going back again. They just, they want to keep going back and they'll keep going back and taking more and more. Well, speaking of pirates, uh, you know, the whole timing of this release uh, is interesting. And and you touched on it a little earlier, uh, Elon, and, you know, that it comes uh, right, you know, at the liberation of Palmyra. And uh, Pepe Escobar, he wrote, he wrote an article, you know, on, on the papers and, you know, included this about, you know, why is this, why were they released now? They've been, you know, holding on to this data for, you know, about a year. So, you know, why now? And it is interesting uh, to see that it's happening at the same time as, uh, as, as this, uh, this victory, uh, this major victory um, that the Syrian army has, has made with, with Russian assistance in, in Palmyra. Um, the U.S. media hasn't covered it, uh, you know, hardly at all. Like it, it, it's it's just remarkable. Um, the Russian uh, Ministry of Defense or the Russian Ministry they invited uh, a whole slew of international journalists to take a tour of um, you know the the historic sites that were completely destroyed. Not not. Hundred percent, but you know, there, there, the destruction was was just despicable uh, of the the Temple of Baal, uh, which is you know a historic temple that dates back to 32 A.D. and um, ISIS took control over the area uh, about a year ago, and you know there there was um, the the mainstream media was was pretty quick to you know uh, have coverage. Uh, over that, and you know, and and they talked about, you know, the the ISIS is, you know, the ISIS went in and they, they basically they they blew up uh, this temple, and there's uh, there's just a few arches that that remain, um, but after its capture, I mean, this isn't is it, this this city? It's not just a, um, a historic um, 
you know, it's it's not just known for its its history, but it's it's this gateway, this doorway from you know the west and the east, and it has a very strategic position. Um, you know, it, it ISIS control. You know, they they blocked uh, the the main road going into Damascus, and you know, the, so the the success of this mission was is significant and you know the 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 west just isn't you know just not talking about it but the is is this response of the panama papers um you know a, a way of of uh responding you know you mean you mean in the sense that it's a distraction it pulls pulls focus off of that a distraction as well as a counter well, I, the one maybe slightly positive thing that may have come out of the whole Palmyra disaster is that here, here was this lunatic bunch of people destroying monuments and, 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 a, and a heritage, a cultural heritage that was thousands and thousands of years old. And everybody knew that it was happening, but those that could have helped didn't lift a finger. And I think that... You know, if nothing else, for, for people who maybe don't care about war or politics or anything, but maybe care about culture and history and, and people, could look at that and say, this didn't need to happen. This was allowed to happen. And who allowed it to happen? The West, the U.S. So perhaps that might wake up a few more people. Who knows? Yeah, because there was, like you were saying, Shane, in the Western media, there was this huge outcry about Palmyra and, oh, my God, look at what ISIS is doing. Now, how did ISIS get there? They had to travel in these large convoys across the desert from the east, from eastern Syria to get there. I mean, that's a very easy target. They could have, the, the, if the U.S. was serious about fighting ISIS, they could have bombed the hell out of them and prevented them from getting to, to Palmyra in the first place. And no, instead, they just let them get over there and then made a huge cry about it in the media and said, oh my God, look what's, what's happening. We have to bomb Syria. Well, why why didn't you do that in the first place? Like, well, it's because we all know the answer to that, and uh, and that's another another topic. Um, like, this is one of those things that that uh, I think would be a much more interesting leak, and that would be to find all of the financial transactions and um, money and arms that that uh, change hands. And that go directly to ISIS because they would be called the Erdogan Papers. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, I haven't found it online, but um, like an, the actual document. But apparently, um, Vitali Turkin, the UN representative for Russia at the United Nations, sent a letter to the United Nations Security Council, um, uh, another one, pointing out kind of all this information, intelligence that they've gathered on how all this takes place. So what's been going on? <clears throat> how Turkey has been supporting ISIS, um, what money goes where, what arms shipments go where. Um, I don't know if it's correct or not, but um, Thierry Maysan at the Voltaire Network has put out two re two reports in the past, one in February and one just a couple of days ago, um, alleging to be like the information contained in these Russian intelligence reports. But of course, he's got no source for it. It's impossible to tell. Um, but at least in the general details, he's probably this information is probably correct, just in the sense that it details um, Turkish businessmen and and military and intelligence directly facilitating all of these things going on, sending um, 
humanitarian aid convoys that just happen to have AK-47s and, you know, anti-aircraft missiles and all this stuff and what border crossings they make and et cetera. Yeah. And, and there's, there's kind of a cynical component this, to this too. I mean, here's ISA saying, oh, you know, this is the infidel. This is, this is, you know, the, uh, the heretics and the pagans and all these people. And, you know, we're the only pure faith and we're going to blow this monument up. But at the same time, in the leak that I think RT found when they liberated, not Palmyra, but kind of on the way to Palmyra, and they found that whole mess of uh, accounting records of the oil and everything. Yeah, that was actually Shaddadi. That was northern Syria. Northern Syria. Okay, well, included in there, not just the oil convoys and who paid what and who drove them and where they went and all that, was another batch of records of all of the antiquities that had been smuggled out and sold. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... Yeah, we're the only pure faith, and we have to eradicate all you know traces of anything else. But we can make a buck off it too. Well, just just on that, like there was that. Or did you want to say something on this one, Shane? Oh, just that you know a lot of these uh, these relics. Um, it, well, the a the destruction of you know the uh, the, the temple and 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 um, when they do destroy you know the, these these ancient artifacts. You know, it has its roots in uh, Saudi Arabia's uh, Wahhabism. Um, you know that that's been a a um, you know se several decades long uh, project of Saudi Arabia to go around and uh, destroy you know the, these uh, these ancient um, artifacts. And I, I think it's something like ninety eight percent of uh, the hist historical these historical structures and. Uh, statues, etc., have been destroyed. You know, just since 1985 in Saudi Arabia. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's devastating. Um, but getting back to you know these these relics turning up, um, you know, they're being sold in in Turkey, in local markets. Um, you know, on the street. Like how uh, it's just, it, how appalling is that? You know, it, it's like you know, you're going to take these. Um, historically significant and you know there, there's i don't want to say it's something sacred but you know there's there's something <laughs> that yeah. you, you don't do you don't do that yeah. that's that's what the, you know the, throughout history you look at the destroyers and that's what you know the, that that's their prerogative is to destroy um the the memories of civilization well that just makes me think about borders because <coughs> you know i'm canadian and i've i've talked to many canadians who have crossed the, the border with the U.S., so by car. And they tell me just the horror stories about crossing the U.S. border. Now, the border guards, if they are suspicious of you, they will search your bags, everything. And they will they might be looking for, like, a, something tiny, like a small amount of drugs or something, like a dime bag of marijuana. And they might find it, like, in your backpack. Now, so I, now I think about Syria and Turkey, and I think about these guys, you know, crossing the border into Turkey with these giant carvings and statues and, you know, ancient historical relics. Now, I think about the Turkish border guard and seeing that. He's like, oh, so where'd you get this? Oh, uh, my, my, my cousin Akbar carved it for me. It's like, well, I mean, how do these things cross the border? It's so obvious that there has to be collusion from the Turkish border guards. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. It would be so easy to catch these guys transfer, transferring these and arrest them, get, the, get the, the, the artifacts and alert Syria and tell them, oh, we've, 
we found these guys illegally illegally transporting these stolen goods, but they don't. And so th- that right there just shows what an utter joke it is and how um, how complicit the official Turkish government is and all their organ and all their arms, whether military or um, just official in the in the government. It's just it's just mind blowing. But on, on the subject of the arms shipments. Um, the British Military Information Service, Jane's, released an interesting report recently. And it, well, I'll just read the first couple paragraphs from it. So this is the uh, the FBO, what is FBO? Oh, Fed Biz Ops, government website. The FBO has released two solicitations in recent months looking for shipping companies to transport explosive material from Eastern Europe to the Jordanian port of Aqaba on behalf of the U.S.'s Navy or the U.S. Navy's Military Sealift Command. Released on November 3, 2015, the first solicitation sought a contractor to ship 81 containers of, car- of cargo that included explosive materials from Constanta in Bulgaria to Aqaba in Jordan. The cargoes listed in the document included AK-47 rifles, PKM general-purpose machine guns, DSHK heavy machine guns, RPG-7 rocket launchers, and 9K-111M Factoria anti-tank guided weapon systems. And further about this article, one ship with nearly 1,000 tons of weapons and ammo left Constanta in in Romania on December 5th of last year. The weapons are from Bulgaria, Croatia, and Romania. It sailed to Agalar in Turkey, which has a military pier, and then to Aqaba in Jordan. Another ship with more than 2,000 tons of weapons left in late March, this was just weeks ago, following the same route, and was last recorded on its way to Aqaba on April 4th. This is just five days ago. Now, um, so, where are these weapons going? Okay, so it's on behalf of the U.S. from Eastern Europe to Jordan. Now, where do those weapons from, go from Jordan? Well, Jor- these these are Soviet-made weapons, and Jordan doesn't use Soviet-made weapons. What they're doing is they're they're funneling them across the border with Syria into Syria, and all the weapons that go into Syria, inevitably, at least half of them go to Al Qaeda. Now, this is just this is normal procedure. Everyone knows this is what happens. The Free Syrian Army and all these moderate rebel groups publicly have stated that, oh, whenever we get weapons, we have a deal with uh, with al-Nusra, and we, you know, we give them half. So the U.S. Navy just sent 2,000 tons of weapons to, or 1,000 if you divide by half, to, to al-Nusra in Syria. Okay, wasn't there like a ceasefire a little while ago? Yeah. Uh-huh. Right, so what are, what is... What are the implications of this? Absolutely. The implications uh, are that uh, the U.S. remains a rabid dog of a of a imperial uh, force of chaos and destruction in Syria. Uh, they haven't really stopped, um, and uh, while Russia is sending tons of humanitarian aid uh, into Syria and Donbass and elsewhere, uh, the U.S. is just uh, kind of continuing uh, to find some kind of way to start the fire again. 
I, I could be wrong, but I think that violates the terms of the ceasefire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, well, and if you look at what's going on in Syria right now, so in the weeks and days since the since Palmyra was retaken, immediately after that, um, there were well the the plan of course is to go east into Derizor where there is um, a Syrian army um, base that is under siege and has been for months, if not years, I'm not sure, and then on Taraka in the north, which is Daesh's base in Syria. Now, what they did immediately after Palmyra, they didn't. They didn't proceed to go directly east to Derizor. They were staying around Palmyra to kind of secure that area, more of the towns and villages around Palmyra. So they went west a bit, actually, to, tell, to take Al-Kariatine, which is another ISIS-held town um, close by. So they've been doing that all in the lead-up to, to going east to Derizor. And at the same time, there is big stuff going on in the north um, in Aleppo. Now, Aleppo is one of those, um, it's, part of it is held by the Syrians and part of it is held by, uh, like, Free Syrian Army and al-Nusra Front. And in the last few days, there's been a lot of fighting going on there. There's been allegations of um, Jaish al-Islam using chemical weapons, possibly chlorine gas, um, like 10 people or more are dead, several more injured. Um, the Syrian Red Crescent um, has said that these people have the signs of chlorine gas poisoning. Jaish al-Islam itself put out a statement saying, oh yeah, some of our commanders used illegal chemical weapons, but that's against our policies, so they didn't do it with our, with our support. So Jaish al-Islam, on the one hand, admitted to it, but then said, oh no, but we don't, we don't approve that kind of behavior. Now, also going on in Aleppo, along with these Jaish al-Islam's uh, attacks, is that al-Nusra Front 2 are kind of going on the offensive. They've tried several attacks, um, like offensives against the Syrian army that have been put back. Apparently, um, according to some sources um, coming that like report on Syrian news, the Syrian army is preparing a massive offense in Aleppo, offensive in Aleppo to basically just destroy al-Nusra there and kind of fully retake the area. So they've been sending out messages to all the civilians in the area to get out because there's going to be, they're not going to hold back at all. At least that's the, that's the, um, like the news that's coming out. And we should know what's going on there within the next day or two. Um, yeah. Just a little update on what's going on in Syria. Well, what's interesting is that, um, you know, like you were reading before Harrison, you, you have, the U.S. still covertly supporting these forces, uh, at least through arms, probably through logistics and and uh, and other type of uh, material and non-material support. And on the surface, um, you know, since all of this information has come out about uh, Erdogan's Turkey materially supporting ISIS, you could see the U.S. starting to distance itself uh, from the government there. Mm-hmm. Recently, uh, Erdogan went to Washington. He spoke at uh, the Brookings Institution, I believe it was, and he wasn't given an audience uh, with Obama. Um, There was never a a planned meeting. So uh, you have to wonder if if they've just kind of, you know, dropped them uh, as as an ally precisely because uh, all of this information points to direct um, support of ISIS 
and um, they don't, you know, the U.S.'s cover is, is still not completely blown. It's, it's been only partially blown. Well, I think there are two factors there. The first was that um, after the, uh, the Turks shot down the Russian jet, the Russians it played out like an asymmetric response by releasing the, the, the information on the oil trade with Turkey and Daesh. And so right there, they put out the information. It's like, okay, there it is. You can't deny it anymore. So there was that. And then in response to that, Erdogan just proceeded to go crazier and crazier. Like he's losing his mind, the, the amount of crazy this guy has. And so it's it, he's kind of in this position where it's undeniable that he is a crook and a villain and you know should be, I don't know, maybe not lynched, but thrown in a prison and uh, <laughs> forgotten about. And like it's it's impossible to deny at this point because the information's out there and through the Russians and Erdogan's own antics, and so it, he's kind of like a liability now because he's he's just totally crazy. And so even the neocons have come out and publicly um, insulted him. They the they wrote a letter to him while he was in the states, an open letter, and this included I don't know something like forty forty signatories and about twenty of them were PNAC signatories. So these were people involved in PNAC. If they weren't PNAC signatories, several others were uh, neocons, uh, non-PNAC neo neocons. So PNAC being planned for the new American century. Yeah, these were the guys that engineered the Iraq war, um, had planned all this stuff out before 9-11. They were the guys responsible for the so-called intelligence saying that Iraq was tied with al-Qaeda and that uh, they were, there were... Uh, plans for chemical weapons attacks, and the guys that said that you know America needed a new Pearl Harbor. These were the guys that that benefited the most from 9/11. In other words, um, there's a there was another story just to, that goes goes along with the Brookings uh, Institute um, interview or not interview uh, where er Erdogan was was speaking at. So there was a so some protesters actually like during the time that he was here, there were several. Uh, protests and <laughs> the the first um, <laughs> the first was uh, so the these thugs that that Erdogan has following around you know are, are outside the building uh, where these protests are happening and the uh, <laughs> the 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 Turkish uh, security uh, you know is is basically pushing back these 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 protesters and. They're they're chanting, you know, terrorist, 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 and and they they don't know what to do, so they just start yelling, <laughs> like they try to cover up. I was hoping you'd cover that story. <laughs> oh, it was hilarious. Uh, uh, Russia Insider had a had a video that they put together on um, uh, like that just you know showed these security officers trying to yell over the protests. And it sounds it's it's very it's eerily similar to goats screaming, and you know they have these these picture these uh, videos of, of goats coming up screaming, and you know it it goes right right along with uh, just the mentality uh, that that is needed in order to support Erdogan. Maybe that's why the uh, the ISIS makes it into Turkey so easily. So that's the security guard strategy at the border. They well, just shout at them. A little, a little more darkly. Uh, one of them was was heard to say, "I don't know whether it was in Turkish or English, but was heard to say, it's a good thing that we're here and not in Turkey, because in Turkey yeah. you, you probably would have ended up dead.'" 
you would person. disappear. You would disappear. So which what, has happened? Yes. What was that letter that uh, the the pinackers mm-hmm. uh, sent to Erdogan? Well, you can't be as crazy as we are. Pretty much, um, or at least do a better job covering it up. Um, I'll see if I can find it here. Uh, talk while I'm looking. Well, while you're looking for it, I was just thinking about uh, Turkey's, you know, invading Iraq and you know bombing uh, the Kurds in in northern Syria there. And I was thinking about you know the crazy, uh, crazy man strategy that could have been at, at work there. You know, just speculating that you know just you, you just have Erdogan going nuts there. You know, just acting like like a like an, a lunatic. You know, foaming at the mouth. You know, declaring you know he'll beat you know he'll destroy Russia and destroy the Kurds and destroy everything. And wondering if that was uh, you know part of a strategy to essentially you know just uh, completely destabilize Russia's intervention there to try and, you know, basically tell them, you know, if you don't get out, then, you know, what, what'll Turkey do? You never know. You can never tell what Erdogan's going to do next. Um, but obviously, you know, Putin just followed through, did what he needed to do and pulled out. And then Turkey was just left, you know, Erdogan's just left standing there with foam on his mouth, looking like a total moron. Okay. So here's what the Pinakas had to say to Erdogan. Uh, I'll just read some select sentences. First of all, Within the past decade, many of Turkey's friends here were optimistic about your country's potential to become a vibrant and stable democracy. Implication, you haven't been. So he said, um, but the, the recent developments in Turkey, however, are deeply troubling. Uh, today we would like to air our concerns. So first of all, they talk about the, all the people arrested for the, charge of, uh, for the crime of insulting you. Um, all the journalists arrested... How dare you? Why shouldn't people in the European Union and United States be concerned about the prospects for a free media in Turkey? Next. Remarkable. (laughs) Along with the erosion of freedom of speech and media, we have watched as you seek to further enhance your personal power by changing the Constitution to create an executive presidency. Now, wait a sec. These PNAC guys, right after 9-11, weren't you the guys responsible for doing pretty much the exact same same thing in the United States by giving George W. Bush executive powers? Uh, yes, you were, in case you forgot. Um, next, um, talking about the war on the PKK, uh, your current course risks exacerbating regional destabilizing dynamics. How do you plan to resolve this conflict without driving Turkey into a civil war? As part of your fight against the PKK, you have called for a more expansive definition of terrorism. Uh, just oh, did you guys do that? Oh no, no never mind. You no, you you would never do such a thing like that. Um, how does the political speech of the HDP, the People's Democratic Party of Kurds, uh, violate the Constitution? Doesn't this course of action undermine rule of law and risk radicalizing the younger generation of Turkish Kurds and pushing them into the arms of the PKK? We hope that you use the opportunity of your visit to address these troubling issues and, in the process, strengthen the U.S.-Turkey relationship. Respectfully signed, uh, Mort Criminals. Mort Abramovitz, Elliot Abrams, Max Boot, Ellen Bork, L. Paul Bremer, Paula J. Dombriansky, Douglas Feith, Hillel Fradkin, Robert Kagan, Joseph Lieberman, Joshua Murovich, Martin Peretz, Dennis Ross, Michael Rubin, Randy Scheunemann, Kenneth R. Weinstein and Paul Wolfowitz. 
all pretty much uh, neocon uh, Zionist um, proponents uh, for you know a stronger Israel. Uh, all guys, as you were saying, all people you were saying before, Harrison, who uh, have supported the war on terror, uh, who have helped cover up um, the lies of 9-11, who've perpetuated uh, the, the wars that we've seen in Iraq, in Libya, uh, and now in Syria, uh, and God knows where else. Um, you know, it, it, you want to scream about the hypocrisy uh, of, of these people who were uh, clearly uh, demented. Um, and, you know, you have to wonder, do they realize uh, just how deep these, what they're saying uh, is girded in lies? Well, I, I think they do. But they're basically saying to Erdogan, you know, you're not doing it good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, you know we got away with all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. You're making a hash of it. What's wrong with you? Making us look bad. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. There, he's he's being too overt, and you know, being too overtly crazy. And you know, they they, they know how to do it covertly, uh, to an extent. <laughs> you know, um, he's just uh, Erdogan's just acting, you know, overtly fascist. And you know, I I, I think um, with uh, what you were saying earlier, Harrison, you know, about the um, you know the 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 Turkish. Jet, you know, a lot of that, or the Turkish shooting down of the Russian jet, you know, a lot of that was, um, you know, by design from from NATO. Um, however, Turkey's actions afterwards, you know, it's it, it's it's like his uh, Erdogan's megalomania just blew up, you know, um, and you know they, they can't they can't have that as as a partner. Well. I think possibly part part of that is, you know, he managed to, to, you know, punch the nose of the Russian bear. And from his point of view, nothing happened. You know, that 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 could have turned into something really awful. And Putin took the measure of the larger picture, chose this very measured response. And I think in Erdogan's mind, he just went, well, you know, I can get away with even more. And I think Russia recently actually even made overtures to Turkey and said, you know, if you take responsibility for this one stupid thing that you did, uh, then maybe we can talk about lifting the sanctions and and having some kind of real normalized um, economic and financial uh, relationship again. Uh, So, I mean, once again, there's this incredible amount of reasonableness and common sense and uh, and willingness to work with with other groups uh, in, in the face of insanity uh, that we're seeing on the part of Russia. Uh, but then at the same time, you know, of course, in in the in the shadows, you like in the Ukraine, you see that uh, there's reports uh, from the, I believe it's the the both uh, both regions of the donbass have reported that turkish civilians they said turkish civilians have come you know as mercenaries to fight which you know that could be on behalf of you know just some mercenary corporation doesn't necessarily have to be erdogan you know personally ordering these things but then you also have uh, in crimea uh, a new battalion just formed they called it the suicide battalion the crimean tatar uh, tatars tatars 
uh, just formed a new battalion that is supposed to help uh, secure the borders, what they said they were going to do, help secure the border between Crimea and Ukraine and disseminate, quote-unquote, truthful information, which, which you know, is anti-Russian propaganda and, you know, craziness. And, of course, it, it just uh, it reminds you of uh, in December of 2015 when uh, Turkish uh, defense minister, I believe, uh, or uh, one of those Crimean Tatars said that they uh, – the Turkey had promised them a battalion, you know, to go in and so that they could fight the Russians. And here it comes. Here it is. Here's a battalion, you know, a few uh, months later. Yeah. So behind the scenes, you you know that they're still they're up to these, you know, crazy tricks. They're still, uh, you know, they're still the lackeys of the, you know, the empire of chaos. And well, at least they named it aptly, the, <laughs> you know, uh, suicide. suicide mission. Like, oh, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> The Ukrainian Turkish suicide bombers, <laughs> suicide squad. They, but the the Turks have been there for a while, even before the the creation of the suicide battalion. The Gray Wolves have been on the oh, yeah. on the border with Crimea. They were involved in the kind of sabotage operations that have gone on for months there. So yeah, because <clears throat> Crimea, I mean Turkey wants Crimea for themselves. They, Erdogan wants it as part of his uh, his new sultanate. His new. His new Ottoman Empire. Yeah. So, well, yeah. So he's crazy. Speaking of uh, border uh, disputes and skirmishes, skirmishes, uh, there's been a new development this week um, between the Armenians and the Azeris or the Azerbaijans, uh, which is rooted in a lot of history. But um, in any case, Corey, uh, you had a focus about it this week. Uh, it, it seems to have come out of nowhere, seemingly, but uh, there seem to be a few important uh, things to take note of there. Yeah, I think that, you know, for the world, you know, for normal people, it came out of nowhere. But, you know, for the, uh, you know, the psychopaths, they probably had been seeing some developments in the region that they didn't like. And so they acted uh, as early as 2015. Uh, Victoria Newland had traveled to Azerbaijan. In order to, uh, who knows, who knows what she was talking about or what she did, but you know where she goes, there comes destruction, you know, a few months later. And so, uh, she, uh, she visited in 2015 and then lo and behold, last week, Azerbaijan, uh, initiated, uh, basically, you know, declared war on their neighbor, Armenia, over a region that they both lay claim to called the Nagorno-Karabakh region. Um, which is 95% ethnically Armenian and which in 1991 declared its independence and wanted to join Armenia because of, you know, their ethnic ties. And they've had a long history of, of war over this region. And in 1994, Armenia won and they, they got the region. But then, you know, Azerbaijan has been, you know, you know, there's this, this huge conflict that, you know, obviously it was frozen and then there's these tensions that, that never quite go away and make perfect little uh, theaters of chaos for the puppet masters, you know, so to speak. And so, you know, just last week, uh, Azerbaijan's basically, they came out and said they're going to they're gonna take back the region and Turkey has declared their support for Azerbaijan's uh, decision. And but this came just at the at a very strange timing because Azerbaijan had been inking some pretty important economic and military uh, agreements between Iran and Russia. 
So they had just decided that they were going to create a railroad linking Russia, Azerbaijan, and Iran, which would have essentially um, created a you know this really powerful Eurasian integration that would have ended up kind of pushing Turkey out of the region. And Turkey is a big uh, ally to Azerbaijan and. I think a lot of people know the, the the genocide that you know that you're not supposed to talk about the Armenian genocide that you know Turkey that Turkey waged. So, um, so let me get this straight. This let me get this straight. This little arrangement would have benefited everybody, Armenia yeah. and the Azaris and Russia. And so the squabble isn't over resources here. It's over It's over access. Well, if anything, Azerbaijan has the resources. They're the oil-rich country. They've got the, okay. they've got the nice arms deals with Israel. Armenia, on the other hand, they have, uh, they have these trade routes that are they're blocked because they, you know, they've got a border with Turkey and they've essentially, you know, Turkey's, you know, shut them out. Yeah. And they, you know, they're, they're pretty much pinched in there with a, a pretty hostile neighbor. But, you know, tensions are there. But yeah. over the years right now, you know, this is obviously a sign that the frozen conflict could thaw, which okay. is obviously an issue to the people who who want explosions on Russia's border. They don't want, you know, smooth economic uh, agreements yeah. being but, worked out. But again, if, if this railroad goes through and Armenia has a seacoast, everybody would have been happy, right? There would have been like. Well, not Good. the not the states. Well, I'm, I'm we're leaving them out of it. I'm just talking about everybody locally. It oh would, yeah, of it course. Would, it would but have they been never a matter. Thing, but no, 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 no. Okay, so because this did not please the states, so there's Vicky coming in with the. She, did did she bring cookies this time? <laughs> Newlands cookies. Did, or did you know? Did she bring like you know? Pound cake. <laughs> well, no, her visit was, you know, a year back. And so, and this, you know, just, just recently happened, though, obviously a lot's going on behind the scenes. You know, Russia is, you know, we see what happens on the, on the stage, the world stage, but behind the scenes, there's a lot of diplomatic efforts that are being made, a lot of spying, no doubt, that goes on and eavesdropping. And, and so this came about, uh, just a week before the foreign ministers of Russia, Iran, and Azerbaijan were to meet to discuss the further economic economic and political co- uh, cooperation. So that was going to be, you know, this big, obviously, you know, big step forward. Well, it just so happens that a week before this conflict broke out, um, there was a there was a meeting uh, for the Minsk group of co-chairs that are, you know, involved in the ceasefire between Arme- Armenia and Azerbaijan, except this one was slightly different because it held no representatives of civil society, only experts, including ones from Western countries, you know, just Western, quote-unquote, experts there to, t- you know, probably talk about, okay, so can we just, you know, stop the whole ceasefire thing and just, you know, create a huge explosion that ruins their relations with their neighbors? Well, the... Just to get into a little bit of detail about this, the way in which this would, well, another way in which in which this would kind of um, be an attack on Russia, a way of destabilizing the region, um, with Russia as the, the kind of country or nation um, as the target, is that Russia has a base in Armenia. Russia has historically greater ties with Armenia and with the military in Armenia. Now, Russia officially accepts the territorial integrity of Azerbaijan. So Russia hasn't accepted um, Nagorno-Karabakh as a truly like independent um, region. They accept that it is part of Azerbaijan. So they've been kind of um, playing a very delicate balancing act over the, the, the last 20 years. And the, the danger would be that by sparking this conflict and setting it off again, 
if the fight would go to the Armenian border, Russia would be obliged to military, military, militarily support Armenia, which would then put Russia at war with Azerbaijan, which it doesn't want because of their recent um, good relations with Azerbaijan. They um, oddly, well, kind of paradoxically, the Armenia ha in some ways, or the, Amar the Armenian um, officials' government have been getting closer with the EU, while Azerbaijan, which is traditionally more anti-Russian, has been getting closer to Russia. So the that would be the the kind of end game in this in this destabilization attempt would be to bring Russia into armed conflict with one of its potential allies which would de destroy any kind of advances that have been made in the region for this kind of cooperation between these countries that are right next to each other, which should make sense, but more often than not doesn't in our world. So what happened after that? Uh, um, apparently there was a new kind of truce ceasefire agreed on, I believe in Russia, the, uh, the Azeris and the Armenians got together with Russia and agreed on this because Russia really doesn't want to see any kind of conflict going on here. It's not in their interest, and it, and by extension, it wouldn't be in the interests of either the Azeris or the Armenians. No one really wants this, except maybe a few kind of loonies in those in either nation, or um, especially like the U.S. So the only person, the only nation to benefit from this is the U.S. And so hopefully nothing. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it can get resolved in some way, and it looks like Russia has been playing its part in helping, like, negotiations. Um, Andrew Karibko, who writes for Oriental Review and works at Sputnik, he put out a pretty good analysis. We included it. Uh, we put it up as the best of the web on SOT. And he argues that China is probably the the most well-placed nation to act as an, as a, an arbiter of the, of the negotiations because they are truly... Um, like an outside party, they have no interest in the region, and they could potentially, you know, act as kind of that that uh, negotiator and that that kind of silent diplomacy in the way like we were talking about last week about Doug Harmerschold to to have an independent party with no interest coming in to just come up with the best solution possible, and um, so hopefully we see something like that in the future. Hopefully this doesn't explode. Well, what's so interesting is that. <clears throat> Only in the past year or two, um, in Azerbaijan, you know, uh, there have been these accusations on the part of Brussels and Western powers of not being democratic enough and not, uh, you know, not uh, following kind of the guidelines of, of um, you know, respecting human rights. And uh, Azerbaijan basically said, "Screw you! You know, we we <laughs> we don't want anything to do with you now that you're trying to rustle up something here." And similarly, in Armenia, uh, maybe just following uh, Newland's visit there, there was a attempted color revolution called the Electric Yerevan, uh, if I have that correct, um, where you know they got the public riled up. I think it was about uh, the costs of electricity or, or one of the utilities. And uh, fortunately enough, you know, uh, they, they were smart smart enough to see what it was that was happening and they were able to suppress it and it hasn't really gone anywhere. Um, but these two kind of attempts at color revolutions at these uh, kind of um, semi-antagonistic nations in a very short period of time. Uh, and 
and what is the common denominator here? Uh, they're very close to Russia. Uh, they, they fit the pattern of Western forces yet again trying to find any way whatsoever to destabilize Russia and draw it into some kind of conflict. Uh, so, you know, as was said, um, this conflict won't benefit anyone. And uh, I think it, it has potential um, for cooler heads to prevail. I don't, I don't think it's going to go the distance. At least I hope it doesn't. No, you'd hope that, you know, these people would just look at Ukraine and see, okay, so this is what happens. <laughs> right. Well, that's kind of the thing that the, you know, U.S. cannot learn from is that, you know, by creating this chaos uh, around Russia and, you know, Russia is, is developing, you know, this significant presence uh, in the region and, you know, they, they can't put two and two together that, you know, this gives Russia an opportunity to, you know, establish itself, um, not just itself, but, you know, the ideology behind it, which is based in partnerships between countries. And, you know, so, you know, it would, <clears throat> it would be great. Uh, and hopefully we will see, you know, um, you know, th these, these talks uh, pan out with, with Russia again, you know, at the lead. It seems to me, you know, just speculating based on you know, just trying to get into the, you know, these psychos heads, but it just seems that the only way that they can defeat Russia, you know, from their, in their point of view, the only way they can defeat Russia is by turning it into an island that's sinking in flames all around it. That essentially, you know, you can't go to war with Russia, right? I mean, Russia's got nukes, Russia, you know, you can't go to war with them. Um, you could possibly, you know, they try in these color revolution route. They've tried to whip up. They've got their NGOs busy, you know, trying to to whip up anti-Putin sentiment. But what the, you know, this whole containment policy, what it basically translates into, is just turning everything around Russia and China into a huge pathological wasteland, so that you know there's nothing. They they're just stuck, you know, economically and everything. They're just completely, literally contained. You know, and they and they they lose out on on vital resources, on vital trade agreements, and they and then you know they just basically succumb to the flames. That's what it that's what that whole containment, that whole policy of containment seems like. It's just basically to turn the world into a hell. Well, yeah, that's 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 what it's about. Uh, however, the you know the ironic thing is that it's really the United States who's isolated more than any other country you know in the world, both in you know in terms of its ideologies um, and, you know, how, how it regards um, or doesn't regard at all, you know, other nations. And, you know, the thing is that, that Russia is creating, you know, all these relationships around it because of uh, the, the U.S. actions in the region. So it's really shooting itself in the foot. Well, do we have any other stories we wanted to cover? We're at our hour and a half point. I think I think we have um, maybe we covered about twenty out of the three hundred. <laughs> out of the, 300, <laughs> out of the eleven point five million. <laughs> All right, we're almost there. <laughs> well, oh, I, oh, yeah. I just wanted to to bring up a couple points. One really quick, just a, a little update on the situation in uh, Brussels with the um, the investigation into the ter the terror attacks there. Uh, breaking news just before we started the show today that. Um, they apparently arrested the suspect, the third man, the mysterious third man in the CCTV footage, the guy with the hat and the big glasses, the guy in white, the, the, the 
Wow, we'll forget about that. <laughs> Anyways, so so uh, if you remember, first of all, no one knew who this guy was. And then the U.S. said, hey, wait a second, we know who that guy is. We've got, you know, super advanced facial recognition technology, and we know that guy. And apparently, oh, it's it's this Abrini guy who was a suspect in the Paris attacks. And then the the bus drive or the the cab driver who drove the Bakrawi brothers to the airport um, said that they're the third guy was in the in the front seat with him, and he identified him as this um, independent journalist, Faisal Shafu. And so they arrested Shafu and then let him go the next day because they didn't have anything to hold him which I was kind of suspicious about. You know, it's possible that this cab driver, either the report about him identifying him was false, or he could have just made a false identification, seen his picture, and said, oh, that kind of looks like the guy. Because, I mean, the CCTV footage isn't very clear. But, so, after they released him, they said, okay, now we think it's Abrini again, and so apparently they've arrested him. And they say um, the, the Brussels officials said, quote, we confronted him with the video evidence pre- prepared by our special unit. And they'd released more footage of him. Um, just a couple of days ago, they released more of the CCTV, CCTV footage of him leaving the airport and walking down all these streets, and they traced his path, and they got, like, you know, probably half a dozen or a dozen um, images of him that they released and little video snippets of him walking, and then he takes off his jacket and he walks, like, looks like he was walking for, like, three hours. But anyways... Um, so they confronted him with this evidence, and then they say, quote, he had to admit it was him. So we'll see what happens with that. But this guy was apparently, you know, his name has been in the news since um, you know, pretty, well, uh, a month or two after the Paris attacks. He was somehow involved in that, allegedly. So we'll see what this guy has to say, if anything. And then another funny story I wanted to bring up. Uh, it just made me shake my head. If you remember when MH17 was shot down um, in the news, in multiple Western media outlets, there were people saying like how how evil and, and corrupt these Donetsk militiamen were going through the personal effects of the, the, of the, the victims. And there was even one guy who was like, I can't remember the exact story, like laughing triumphantly, holding like uh, the, the little teddy bear as a, as a trophy of, of killing these, this, these innocent people and this young child. When in fact, that guy holding the, the teddy bear, if you actually look at the video, he was holding it up and crying and saying, who could do such a thing, et cetera. Like, so they totally just slandered this guy and made up total lies about him. But anyways, one of these journalists at the time had said something like, um, yeah, he'd accused the the militia of looting the the MH scene, MH17 remains the the crash site there, and then so there's this guy, um, Demjin Doroshenko. He's a first generation Australian of Ukrainian descent. He was one of the journalists that went there. Now he is um, he's the guy that accused the Ukraine rebels of looting. And now he's seeking money for the return of the possession of possessions of the people that were on the plane. Wait, what's going on here? Okay, so this guy looted the <laughs> the stuff that was there. He took objects from the plane crash, took them back to Australia. He then accused the the Donetsk militiamen of doing exactly what he do, did. 
and now he's asking for money to return these items. So um, he said at the time, quote, they were rifling belongings with torches 50 yards away. Once they had gone, I went over to the body where they had been and found wallets left open, purses empty and papers all over the ground. It's awful. He told that to the British Sun newspaper. And then, but now apparently, uh, Doroshenko is seeking a way to gain some monetary benefit for items he collected at the crash site. He says he is in possession of dozens of items and offered to hand them over to the Australian Federal Police and the Dutch-led Joint Investigation Team if he is compensated for travel expenses. He claims he collected the belongings as evidence because he was concerned that the rebels would try to cover up their alleged actions. It needs to be rescued, or otherwise the, Rus the Russians will appropriate any other pieces that they can to use in their case against the joint investigation team, he said. The Australian authorities said Doroshenko should hand over the evidence unconditionally. Um, a spokes an, AFP an AFP spokesman said items recovered from the MH17 crash site should not be used to obtain a profit or benefit. The F AFP and JIT are aware that Mr. Doroshenko may have visited the MH17 crash site and have provided him with a process of how he can provide those items to the JIT. So this guy is so stupid that he stole evidence from the scene of the crash and now is trying to sell it back <laughs> yes. to the country. And after blaming the the, the rebels for doing it. Exactly. Oh, this is how pathology ru ruins the world, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Perfect case study. Kind of reminds me of a, a couple stories that have popped up recently. One was uh, several weeks ago. Uh, I think it was uh, coming from a U.S. congressman or senator or one of those types, and he was saying how how outrageous it is that the um, the U Ukrainian military and Ukrainian politicians are are, are corrupt. <laughs> like it's it, it, it's this. It, it's yeah, it's so wild a thing that's happening to you know have this corrupt organization be corrupt. They're so corrupt that they have to replace the prime minister Yetzianyuk with their own uh, with their own shill. I Not, forget her name. It's it's going around too. There was there was another story again about a week and a half ago, where senior members of I think it was Al Nusra, the you know the terrorist group complaining complaining and and decrying the corruption of their lower ranks yeah. it was just like <laughs> really you kidding me are you kidding me wow okay. oh. and, and and it was it was it was no, appalling no honor, and, no honor in beheading we are shocked just shocked well um just another news bite from ukraine uh, a week or two ago the um the Speaker of the State Duma of Russia, Sergei Naryshkin, said that if Russia were to enter into a military conflict with Ukraine, it wouldn't last four days. Basically said that, you know, if Russia actually went to war with Ukraine, we'd be over and done with them in less than four days. So in response to this, Alexander Turchinov, he is the Secretary of the National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine. He's also, I can't remember if he's like, Azov or right sector. He's one head of one of those like uh, you know right wing neo Nazi groups. So he responded on his like Facebook or um, or VK page or whatever. He wrote that um, fighting fighting with a country like Ukraine, Russia would not last four days. So he basically turned it on. He turned this Russian propaganda on its head and said, "No, R Ukraine would be the one to beat Russia." And in the process. Just think about this. So he's saying, oh, 
if Russia were actually fighting Ukraine, we'd actually beat them in four days. Hey, wait a second. Haven't you been saying for the last two years that Russia has invaded your country 200 times and that's the country you're at war with? Whoa, good job, guys. I mean, it's taken you two years and you still haven't defeated them. So in this kind of asinine boast, this guy, Turchinov, just admitted that Ukraine hasn't been, never was, and isn't at war with Russia. You heard it on here. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. So... God, I hate that guy. Yeah. So there, there was one um, one story also that we were kind of discussing before the show a little bit from the Weird Desk at South Central, um, and uh, it seems that there is a an ever larger number of people who are going around naked, uh, and you can see this in the U.S. I, I think there was another case in uh, somewhere in uh, in Eastern Europe or Asia. Are the are these like nudist camps? Uh, no, apparently they, you know, they just get naked and attack people wherever they happen to be or make displays of themselves and, uh, and just kind of, uh, go into these fits of rage. And, uh, this is really happening. Uh, it harkens back to stories we were hearing, uh, just a few years ago of individuals. Um, you know, there was that guy in Florida who had attacked a man and, and, and bit his face. The bath salt zombies. Yes. Um, but uh, apparently a lot of these naked people who are attacking folks uh, haven't been um, on drugs of any kind. Uh, Carolyn, you yeah. wanted to chime in. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the, the weirdest part of all. These, these people just lose it. They, uh, there's one video that was posted, or there was a little compilation, because in the article, um, let's see, I've got it right here, uh, See, about a month ago when this person reported to be a mentally ill naked woman who shut down a major Texas highway after climbing on top of an 18-wheeler and refusing to come down as she ranted about government mind control. Apparently, this is not an isolated incident by far. And there's a video. It's an article on SOT. Uh, check it under Society's Child. It said... Naked people in fits of blind rage have been arrested around the globe in recent weeks for going completely insane, stripping down to nothing, and attacking anyone and everyone they come across. The assailants are typically described as enraged beyond all logic and reason and feeling no pain as they run amok, up beating up random people they come across and even smashing car windows with their bare fists without even slowing down. And the video has this. You see this guy's interior video. I don't know if it's a dash cam or whatever. And all of a sudden, you see the front windshield completely crushed. And this guy has done it with his bare hands. Then he swings around to the driver's side, Mm -hmm. smashes the window in, and he's trying to drag this guy out of the car. And there's lots of screaming and yelling, and it's crazy. These people aren't on anything. They test them for alcohol. You think, oh, my God, that must be the best PCP going. They are clean. But they're crazy, you know? What, what I think is happening is that there's a new evolved species that is developing out of mankind to become more animalistic. That's, that's what's, that's what's happening. Oh, wait, that was Wayward Pines, if, if anybody <laughs> caught, saw that. Or maybe it's not just Wayward Pines. But what, what is going on with, uh, with, with what's happening here? Well, the, the thing that makes it strange is, A, the, the lack of presence of any kind of you know, chemical enhancement, but these people exhibit incredible strength. 
this imperviousness to pain. I mean, one guy, they just tased the daylights out of him and he just kept on going. And, and that, that really puts it into the weird file because they're, they're, they're exhibiting all of the symptoms of, you would say these people are high on something, but they aren't. So, you know, what the heck? And, and, you know, you, it's not just people. It's not just people. This, this makes you wonder if there's something going on in terms of electromagnetics or mm-hmm. whatever, because animals are doing the same thing. Elephants are pissed. There has probably been but at least five and possibly 10 to 12 deaths in the last month from elephants flipping out and just rampaging through villages and tossing people right and left. Uh, um, dog attacks, um, wolf attacks. It's, it's, you know, there's thumbs up. And this has been going on for a while. It makes me think that the the earlier reports of these so-called zombie attacks, if the so if the bath salts thing was just a cover story, a cover story, like this kind of came out of nowhere. They had no explanation for it, so they just said bath salts. But now it's getting to the point where there's so many of them that they can't use that as a like it's just obvious enough that that's not the case. So they can't use it as an excuse anymore. But these people are just have going crazy and have been going crazy for years. And like you said, like the same with the animals thing, because that's been going on. We've been covering those stories for uh, like pretty in depth for the past couple of years. I think a few uh, years ago, Joe had written a piece um, about uh, environmental changes and and cosmic radiation. Um, and, you know, with with the solar minimum and, and our atmosphere kind of changing uh, in all sorts of ways. And maybe someone can explain this a little better. Uh, but people have been exposed to things in our environment uh, that just didn't exist several years ago. And uh, it's it's very interesting to think about how um, the possibility exists that there are things in our environment that are triggering people who may already be, uh, who are probably already unstable in some fashion or another. Uh, and it just completely pushes them over the edge to this kind of, uh, primal insanity, uh, for for lack of a better description. That's uh, what that's what it kind of seems like. It's it's um, you know this breakdown of you know whatever is uh, more human and or basically to become less human and more animal. Mm-hmm. I mean that's what really stands out for me in these stories is that it, it, it's a very animalistic and uh, primal thing that you know to for to see people you know stripped down naked and you know just go on attack it, it's it's like it's like human beings are become wild animals well it's it's it seems worse than animalistic i mean you think a dog would behave better than that these you know a lot of the the animals that are going crazy too i mean it's because it's out of the ordinary it's there's something else going on there it's yeah it's it's pretty sickening you know nobody wants to see zombies in the streets but you know be careful well, and I think that's where we're going to end the show. Zombies on the streets. Zombies on the streets. That's what, we have, to, that's what we have to look forward to. Naked zombies naked, on the streets. Naked zombie Hulk smash is what, yeah, what America is going to descend into. Uh, the yeah. zombie apocalypse is here, folks. Yeah. If you want a picture of the future, just imagine a giant zombie Hulk smash foot <laughs> stomping, on, stomping your face. on the face for, <laughs> forever. forever. <laughs> All right. So we're going to end it there. Um, thanks, everyone. Next, uh, Tune in next week. We are going, well, we hope we will be having a great interview. 
come up. So I'm not going to say for sure yet just because we have to finalize the details, but uh, tune in because it's going to be a good one. Even if this particular interview doesn't happen, we'll probably, you know, hopefully have another one. So just prepare for an interview and we'll release the details of that probably uh, next Thursday. So everyone take care and yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Have an amazing week, everybody. Take care, folks. Absolutely. Thanks for listening.